This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation. This show is, in my view, upfront, up close, and uplifting. He is a national treasure, a Canadian hero, a force to be reckoned with, a true inspiration. 36 years ago at age 27, Rick Hansen embarked on a life-affirming journey after a life-altering accident a dozen years earlier changed absolutely everything for him. But he was determined not to let a spinal cord injury get in the way of creating a new life, a new mission a new purpose that included an unwavering dedication to uplifting people with disabilities. The Man in Motion World Tour was born, and in the years leading up to its inception, some might even say Rick Hansen was reborn. He joins us now in conversation. Thank you for being with us, Rick. Hey, Anne, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So what sparked the idea initially of the Man in Motion World Tour? You know, growing up and having my spinal cord injury, I had not had any perspective on dealing with a disability. So I had to overcome my own internal handicaps, my stereotypes that saw me as a person to be pitied and limited. And then there were a lot of social barriers out there that I constantly faced, uh, you know, whether they be physical or attitudinal. And uh, in my Paralympic career, I also met so many other people who had the same story. And I thought, well, you know, why not at some point just take that experience, see those problems and add my athletic talents and try to do something that would change perceptions and show people what was possible if you remove barriers in the lives of a person with a disability. And that's how the tour idea and dream was born. And of course, there were a lot of people that inspired me along the way to make that happen. How did you prepare for something like that? There were so many unknowns at that point. How did you prepare both physically and emotionally? You know, the biggest thing was at first you move the dream into a sense of focus because you you need a sense of inspiration, uh, purpose. Uh, you need to kind of have a sense of uh, why are you doing this and having a chance to recruit Terry Fox onto our wheelchair basketball team and having him be a great friend and watching his journey from a different perspective than most. I really saw how people responded to his journey to help cure cancer uh, by looking and seeing actually the ability of a person with disability and as a wheelchair marathoner and Paralympian, I put that inspiration together and with a purpose and decided then to wheel around the world. But it, it, it's, it's easy to sort of say it in your mind, but speaking about it to your friends and family and it's out there and and making the commitment was fundamental. And then lastly, uh, building your small team and getting past the fear and the self-doubt and the skepticism and the pursuit of trying to be perfectly organized and just taking that first step, that first day leaving the Oak Ridge Mall, um, that was the greatest accomplishment of our entire journey is just busting through and starting. There was not perhaps a lot of attention initially, but that changed through the world tour. What was it like mile after mile, kilometer after kilometer, doing what you were doing without as much attention as perhaps you would have liked initially, Rick? Boy, it was a, it was a shock. You know, you have this vision, uh, the dream of 
you know, lots of people engaged, you know, real cool things happening as a result of the inspiration, bears removed, attitudes changed, dollars raised. And we crossed the border, you know, on day one into the United States and, you know, and there was nobody there. And, and we hadn't been organized enough. We were panicked and challenged and, and it was just a struggle, one stroke at a time, trying to keep in the journey and not just literally fold and say, we're done. And, and the, the only thing that kept us going was one, uh, the, the absolute relentless commitment to the purpose and the dream. Two is the, the real camaraderie of our team. And then every once in a while, there would be one little thing at each day that you could see that showed that someone cared and that we were having a difference uh, and an impact. And even though the discrepancy between the dream and reality was still big, um, that was the discipline that kept me going. One stroke at a time, you know, the team, and then seeing those little moments that were clues that we were having a small impact, maybe not the big one, and it will happen. More than 30 countries that you visited how difficult was that when you just think about the elements that you were up against? Mother Nature, for instance, and I think she threw everything at you over the many months that you were on the road, from wind to rain to snow to excessive heat. How did you manage that? Well, the second day on the road, we'd had uh, incredible headwinds, zero degrees, pouring rain, sleet, snow, and and, and I was trying to maintain this 113-kilometer-a-day pace and I was injured. I should have slowed down. Uh, it was uh, it was a relentless uh, challenge at, at the very beginning. And now all of a sudden I had tendonitis of my wrist and my elbow. And the first thing we had to do was bring Amanda in, my uh, physiotherapist who was going to come from time to time. And she ended up coming in in a crisis management situation, became literally the full-time physio with us on the journey. And if it wasn't for her, uh, physically, I doubt if I'd have been able to sustain the pace, and she just uh, kept me not only uh, you know in, in a in a in a reactive way to deal with the injuries, but helped me actually stay in front of the injuries and stay relatively healthy for the rest of the journey. And then you know you you get into the scenarios of uh, of heat, and you have to adapt. You know the the, the pace. Uh, you have to continue to watch your hydration, and you know you have to then deal with the cold, and you have to adapt your clothing and you know, the technology of the wheelchair and skin sensors for not being able to feel your legs and uh, engineering teams that put solutions together. And I think the only way we were able to keep going and was simply uh, being aware of the conditions that were challenging us, uh, you know, each time and then bringing together innovative solutions to counteract and have the countermeasures to be able to meet them head on and uh, sustain through them. I'm astonished at some of the facts, and I hope I've got them right. So just one year into the tour, 7,180,800 wheelchair strokes, 63 flat tires, 47 pairs, I guess, of worn gloves, four robberies. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's hard to believe eh, that the things that it takes to, to get through the journey, and there were countries that, we had planned to go to that wouldn't let us in uh, because of politics uh, or some terrorist activity, uh, you know, in, in North Africa, you know, in Tunisia. Uh, and, uh, you know, those are things that we just had to adjust to. Um, 
going through you know 16 countries uh, in six months uh, in Europe, uh, you know we just start to get some relationships and momentum. We were into a different country with a different language, and it was so taxing on our team and our crew. And we lost our team manager, uh, you know Tim Frick, uh, out of just pure you know battle fatigue, and he had to withdraw for uh, for the you know the next phase of the journey and. We had to compensate and then bring somebody else in, and we were, you know, always on the verge of being out of money. And we had a little home team base at home in Vancouver, you know, trying to, you know, sort of put people together and getting them engaged, and uh, and ultimately uh, just keep us on the road and and then try to get in front of it to be able to build something in an era where there were no computers and you know no cellular phones and no GPS and. I don't know how they were doing it. Sometimes smoke signals or carrier pigeons. (laughs) (laughs) So things were a little quiet, and then things began to change. What was the turning point in terms of interest and in terms of donations? You know, we had lots of really cool pockets of impact, uh, but overall, until we actually reached China, I would have to say that my journey was, uh, you know, feeling like it was not the success that I'd actually imagined it to be and really struggling for motivation. And then this miracle happened, uh, you know, a country that we would have expected perhaps would have said no to us uh, in China, a communist country. Um, the Soviet Union had said no to us, uh, you know, uh, East Germany had said no. And, and we thought, well, it happened in China, but they said yes. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And when I got there, I found out in many ways why. That, you know, it was Pierre Elliott Trudeau who befriended, uh, you know, the chairman, Deng Xiaoping, and uh, his son, uh, Deng Tu Feng, had been uh, injured. He had a spinal cord injury, and he was really gravely ill. And uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau had uh, offered to take him to Canada, into, to Ottawa, to have life-saving medical treatment. He was, uh, you know, uh, saved and uh, and ultimately he was inspired by our medical and our social system and vowed to do that in China. And as a result uh, of just setting up a disabled organization, uh, you know, you know, the China Disabled Persons Federation at the time, uh, you know, he welcomed me in as a as a Canadian, but also as a, as a champion to show potential and ability and, and the whole country opened up and mm. It was an unbelievable experience and, and a huge a huge cultural shock for folks in China at a time when people with disabilities were not really considered full citizens. They were often shut out, wards of state, and uh, a burden on community or family. And, and so the idea of propelling that, that stereotype uh, you know, away from there and into a, one of a person who was empowered uh, contributing and uh, and had ability uh, was a big transition and uh, you know and, and it really it really uh, I think radiated back around the world and helped build a momentum that uh, reflected back here in Canada and uh, changed everything. It sure did. Wow, I have to ask you what it felt like to wheel up the Great Wall of China. It was a dream come true. You know, I, I that's one thing that I wanted to take away personally. Uh, from the journey uh, is a photo of me on the Great Wall at the highest point. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of imagined it through National Geographic pictures and photos. And so uh, when we arrived, there were crowds there and, you know, cameras and young people with disabilities. And 
and I hadn't anticipated that there'd be a flight of stairs to get up under the wall. And I was paralyzed with fear and, uh, you know, and my ego was completely uh, handicapping me. Conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line. Info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. And, uh, you know, let that be the symbol of, of what that Great Wall stands for and how the tour is going to be uh, a reality. And, and uh, she inspired me to get over myself and get out there. And the uh, team helped me up on the wall. And, and I pushed up to that highest point and have that photo. And it's a symbol of, uh, you know, the wall's too big, that can't be climbed. And I, I have it to this day, and it's very special for sure. So you end up back in North America, and it, this is a now a journey of success. And it really was right from the beginning, but it's being recognized by so many. You make your way up the east coast of the United States. You enter Canada, I believe, in Newfoundland and begin your journey back to Oak Ridge Mall in Vancouver. Something interesting happened in the east coast provinces, and it has something to do with Amanda. What happened? <laughs> well, well, we had been together for a long time, and uh, you know she wasn't just my physiotherapist treating my shoulder. Uh, you know she was a, an amazing human being treating my heart, and we uh, fell in love, and and uh, we got engaged in Shedyak, and uh, that that was a in New Brunswick, a very special day, and and then uh, I went to call my father at the end of the day to tell him, and he said, I already heard that it was on the radio, and I went, what? <laughs> how did that happen? It was supposed to be uh, private, but one of our team members was talking to somebody who talked to somebody, and <laughs> ended up somehow getting out, and, uh, you know, but it was a very, uh, very important moment. I'll always, uh, you know, see Shadyak as extra special in my life, and, uh, you know, it was the beginning of a commitment for a lifelong journey with Amanda, someone who'd been a an amazing part of my athletic journey as a Paralympian, uh, as a physiotherapist on the tour, but as my friend, my mentor, the love of my life, and uh, someone I wanted to start a family with, too. And why, near the end of the Man in Motion World Tour, why did you feel it was the right time to say to her, will you marry me? First of all, you know, we've been through so much, you know, and there were, it was a tough pressure cooker, you know, on the tour, you know, I mean, 24-7, you know, in, uh, you know, in tight quarters and you, know, you see each other uh, at your best and your worst. And I think we compressed uh, seven years of living together, uh, you know, in just those, uh, you know, those 18 months. And, 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 the, and the second thing is, is that, you know, uh, the tour was, uh, you know, I was finally in that stage where I really, as long as I stayed vigilant, I really believed that, you know, that, that we were going to finish and that it was, going to end, uh, you know, and, and, and then started to think, you know, just dare to dream about what was, what was my future going to look like. And I couldn't see a future without Amanda. And I wanted her to know that. And I wanted to, I wanted to make that commitment right away and, uh, and, and, and make that statement clear and, uh, and, you know, and hope that she would say yes as well. And she did. <laughs> she sure did. She yeah. She sure wow. did. Oh, that was awesome. Both of you. Your two-year-plus Man in Motion World Tour came to a, an exciting, exhilarating, triumphant conclusion 34 years ago today. What went through your mind as you were wheeling toward Oak Ridge Mall? Well, you know, the, the momentum kept building across the country uh, from that wonderful welcome in St. John's. And, and, and just uh, uh, it was uh, just unbelievable how the dream and reality 
you know, all those years of uh, pushing and, uh, and, you know, there was those moments like China, but they were far and few between. And, uh, you know, and, and, and basically, you know, seeing it all unfold that way and see, you know, my home country respond was uh, such an inspiration. I felt a sense of, uh, of satisfaction that we were having an impact, which is why I was doing it. It made the times when I was thinking about quitting, uh, there were a few, and uh, so close to the wire, um, you know, and I look back and I go, oh my God, I can't believe I almost, I almost walked away from this, uh, you know, the chance to contribute and make a difference. And, and, and then that last day, uh, you know, with uh, being surrounded uh, by my honor guard of uh, many of my Paralympic friends and, uh, you know, and, and champions uh, themselves, uh, you know, to uh, to see the streets lined with people, to to know that we generated twenty six million dollars uh, for a legacy, and and that we generated awareness. And that same Oak Ridge Mall that we started two years, two months, and two days later, um, you know, it wasn't the you know the small little crowd uh, kind of kicking us out. It was a you know it was an amazing response, uh, saying welcome home and. But what I remember most about it all, to be honest, is the sign that was set up uh, to welcome me home. They had a banner that said, Welcome Home, Rick. And above it, there was this statement that said, uh, The end is just the beginning. And, and it, at the time, I you know, I wasn't exactly thinking that was a very smart thing. You know, I thought the tour was over and I'm kind of going to get back to my Paralympic uh, dreams and see how far I can go there. But, you know, I, I'd been changed by that journey. and. And I understood, you know, as much as we might think that we've accomplished a lot, uh, gosh, in the, in, the, in the scope of the journey for people with disabilities in our society or even a cure for paralysis, those two big dreams were just barely beginning and there's so far to go. And, and I, I really wanted to, you know, turn that into a lifelong mission. And, and that, was, uh, that was something I had to reconcile, uh, you know, in the months after the tour ended and, but that, that sign, uh, you know, kind of pointed to the core of it. Yeah, it was just the beginning for sure. <laughs> when we come back, the Rick Hansen Foundation and his mission to create a world without barriers. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line. Info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 1059 The Region. We are back in conversation with Rick Hansen. And Rick, you mentioned that sign the day that you arrived back at Oak Ridge Mall having completed the Man in Motion World Tour, that sign said, the end was just the beginning. And in a sense, as you moved forward from this incredible experience, this incredible journey, there was truth in that. You founded the Rick Hansen Foundation. We did. We, we had this incredible responsibility in many ways, you know, that was, it was, a, you know, there was a, the resources built and a momentum and, People were becoming aware, we're starting a conversation in communities across the country. There were local champions and organizations and, you know, what, what, what should we do is, uh, well, we, we needed to set up uh, an organization that would be more formally uh, represent, re- representative of that legacy and, and then make sure that that, uh, that revenue, uh, you know, that was generated went to good purposes and, and that we uh, stayed, you know, focused on, on the dream and, you know, with, 
put together a board of directors and brought in an executive director and uh, you know and, and advisors to the fund and you know the first well, within a few months we did we distributed two million dollars uh, across the country and annually we're we were giving out uh, based on interest, you know, about two million for a while, and then the interest rates dropped, and then the need went up. And after a decade, we realized that, gosh, we needed to up our game here and uh, you know, and, and stay focused on uh, on on the outcome, not just activity. And uh, so we started uh, really energizing our foundation, and uh, I joined the organization and became its CEO, and and then decided that, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's really Let's really go to the next level, and um, boy, it's been uh, quite a journey since, for sure. And how would you describe what that next level is? Talk to me about the many facets of the foundation today. Mm-hmm. Well, in the first instance, you know, uh, when you have two big dreams, you know, you can believe that anything's possible, but not everything. And you know, it's it's tough enough just thinking you're going to help find uh, a cure for paralysis one day. Uh, let alone uh, try to help remove barriers for the 1.3 billion people on the planet that live with disabilities. And uh, and so, gosh, you, you, you have to start to think about focus and priorities. And, and uh, you know, it doesn't mean you abandon both uh, or one, but you have to start focusing. And, and one of the things we realized is that in the early years after the tour, spinal cord research was, uh, you know, was really needing uh, a tremendous boost and, that we decided to get researchers and uh, doctors and clinicians uh, from across the country uh, to connect and uh, to form a network where they were actually talking to each other as opposed to competing with each other and and then actually getting getting them to share information and to measure the same things and and then to start to reach out to collaborate globally and create a global network and 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 then you know, we started to see incredible energies uh, and uh, and progress, and and even here in Vancouver, we realized that we needed to pull together people who had spinal cord injury uh, on the corner of their desk, from research labs, from universities to hospitals, and we built a fifty million dollar global spinal cord research center, and uh, you know, and so you know, we wouldn't have been able to do that if we didn't put our leadership behind. Uh, the barrier that was identified and then bring other resources and experts and champions together in partnership. And so those, that sort of shift from a reactive distribution of a depreciating asset to a proactive leadership organization that was deciding to focus on priorities, big barriers, then solutions, and then bring them together uh, and, uh, and energize more capacity and have that legacy be delivered by others, uh, you know, and not fall on one man in motion. It became many in motion and, and a movement-based solution. And so those those things were really important. And, and then, of course, we decided uh, to also focus on accessibility. How do we change the societal attitude many people have about those with disabilities? How do we change that? I think the most important thing is is that we we fragment uh, disability by body part, uh, by clinical diagnosis, or you know the, the 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 point of continuum from the healthcare world all the way into the community, and and by being so fragmented, it never ladders up to the incredible like power uh, and the demographic scope and size of the disability community. 
Like right now, one in five Canadians have a disability, and that's probably a lot more of people who don't report one and because they're afraid to, or they, they don't see themselves as having a disability because of the way they interpret it. And the, the 1.3 billion people on the planet, according to the World Health Organization, aging boomers rolling into that significantly over the next 20 years. And, and so I, I, I think we have, to, we have to, first of all, make people realize how big the issue is uh, secondly, and, and enter into a conversation about this, uh, you know, on a more regular basis, we have to keep tackling attitudes so that people don't see it as a as a death sentence. Uh, you know, that it can can be you know a, a full and uh, you know and and, and, and a, you know meaningful life and contributing, and and see examples of that. And and then lastly, we just have to keep focusing on converging barriers, big barriers that the most amount of people with disabilities can actually relate to and see benefit from the results of those barriers being removed. And I think if we do that, it's like a, it'll create a rising tide that will float all boats and, and we'll see uh, much more uh, holistic change. And eventually this issue will be normalized and, uh, you know, we'll look back on it in history and we'll go, wow, <laughs> I can't believe how hard it was back then. But uh, what were they worried about? This is so obvious. <laughs> you know, Rick, through this interview, you've you've just you've talked so openly about so many parts of your life and you've accomplished so much in your short life. You are still a young man in my eyes. <laughs> are you are you able to tell us what your new personal dream is what is next for you and i mean personally just you rick yeah well for, for me and it's it, it's always been about you know, changing as you evolve and grow and so you you move from being you know single-minded and focused on say a paralympic uh you know gold medal or uh, being able to uh, wheel around the world with, with your team for a purpose um you know but you know getting married and and having children, and uh, and then, you know, it's to me, it life is amazing. Boston, so you know, in the precious years uh, ahead, hopefully, hopefully uh, a few more decades, uh, you know, but every day um, to keep that balance, uh, to invest in my health, so that I can continue to bring, uh, you know, myself, uh, you know, to be present in the things that are most important to me. Uh, that is uh, my marriage, my family, uh, my children, my grandchildren, my friends, um, to be engaged in meaningful adventures because I love the outdoors and to, to be learning uh, about myself, about the world spiritually, to be open to inspiration and, and to still be committed not just to the two legacy dreams of the cure for paralysis and accessibility, but to be committed to people being healthy and living on a healthy planet as well, because you know it's all connected. And uh, one thing I've learned more than anything in this long journey is unlike the way I saw the world back over 34 years ago as being large and disconnected and inaccessible, this world is actually small. And uh, we are connected and we are interdependent. And if we don't see ourselves in the context of this small planet, and if we don't see ourselves as interconnected and, and that our values need to be balanced against a, 
you know, a, a inclusive society and, and people being healthy and, you know, on a healthy planet, well then, uh, you know, we will falter. And, uh, and, and so I think we all need to do our part and that's going to be my continuing journey uh, as a, as a thought leader, as someone who's passionate to continue to be in motion and make a difference. And I'm uh, excited about every day. And I feel like I'm one of the luckiest guys on the planet right mm-hmm. now. And I've never trade my life for the use of my legs. Wow. I've got to thank you for your honesty, your kindness. You are such an inspiration. And the world, I have to say, is a much better place because you're in it. Thank you, Rick Hansen, for joining us in conversation. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate it. Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.